Jeremy Dixon. We have been, over the years, uh, blessed by Freedom Church as uh, uh, Freedom, just but right on the edge of the Beltway uh, on the east side, uh, has really taken a very active role in uh, encouraging and equipping and, uh, churches throughout the city. And um, Jeremy actually came to Baltimore some years ago and planted a church right near Morgan State. And, uh, and that's when I got to know him. And uh, Jeremy and I began reading, reading some books together and just encouraging one another. Iron sharpens iron, doesn't it? And uh, I can't call myself iron, but I can call Jeremy iron. And he sharpened me. I think I'm lead. Iron sharpened lead. And, uh, but, but have for years just enjoyed his fellowship uh, personally and his encouragement. One of the most encouraging guys I know. Um, he, uh, his church and freedom married one another. And at, uh, well, how long ago was that, Jeremy? Like 2015. 2015. Yes, sir. And uh, he joined uh, uh, Freedom Church and has been actively involved in uh, ministry throughout the city. Uh, he is a sinner saved by grace, but he's bringing us a word from the Lord this morning. All right? So let's just welcome Jeremy. morning, grace and peace. Uh, I'm told that uh, for those who will need uh, Bibles as we began to dig in our word this morning, there are Bibles available for you. So if you need one, please raise your hand. They are uh, bringing Bibles through this morning. Again, uh, as uh, Pastor Joe said in that very kind and gracious uh, introduction, uh, we are friends of yours. And we count you friends of ours over at Freedom Church. It is a blessing and a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, I echo those sentiments that Pastor Joe is a great, great, great friend. And I've learned a lot from him. Uh, and a lot of what I've learned from him, from him isn't just by what he has said. It is, it's his example, it's his behavior, it's his conduct as a pastor. And I am thankful for my relationship with him as well as Montreal. And uh, who I work with on the BBA, the Baltimore Baptist Association, good friend of mine, and it's just a privilege to be here and to serve you all today here at the Garden. With that said, I'm going to ask if you would open your Bibles with me this morning to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, right after the book of Hebrews. James chapter 1. This morning, we're going to be reading uh, verses 2 to 4. James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. Before I read, I would like to go to the Lord and ask for his guidance, direction, and wisdom as we began to traverse his word. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Father, we are thankful to be called your people. We are thankful for a God who did not just abandon us in the garden, but instead sent provision for our relationship to be restored through the promised seed, Jesus Christ. And we are thankful 
Though we are not left without instruction, but rather we have your word to remind us of that love you have for us, to teach us how to live in obedience and admiration for you, to teach us how to properly glorify Christ the Savior who won our salvation on Calvary's cross. May you be glorified. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Speak in Christ's name, amen. Amen. James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I want to speak to you this morning from the subject, encouragement for facing the trials of life. Encouragement for facing the trials in life. If we were to go back to verse 1 this morning, we would see that James, who we believe and are pretty sure is the half-brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and being the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem, He sends this letter out to the 12 tribes that are scattered throughout the diaspora. These are Jewish Christians who would be no strangers to trials. It was perhaps persecution that had run them out of Jerusalem in the first place. And if it were not the case, they would still be facing persecution as they practiced their Christianity in places throughout the Roman Empire where Christianity wasn't accepted. And so it's no wonder that the first subject that James would address in his letter to to, to them would have to do with their outlook on trials. And my friend, I believe that James's letter is just as relevant to us today as it was to them back then. As Christians spread out all over the earth, continue to face trials, whether they come in persecution, whether they come in terms of suffering, affliction, loss, severe, discomfort, whatever the trial is, James has something to say to us today as well. As a matter of fact, it's been said that when it comes to the trials of life, one is either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or going into the trial. And whether that statement is true or not, I can tell you from my own personal experience that trials are real and trials are coming. And if you're here this morning and you have not yet been through a trial yet, just keep going to bed and keep waking up in the morning. (laughs) Trials are coming. The Lord Jesus Christ himself told his disciples in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. Trials are a fact of life. Since trials are certain for all of us, especially for the believer, there's no need to try to figure out how we can avoid trials. There's no way to try, there's no reason to try to figure out how can we go about sidestepping and circumventing trials. But rather we need to ask the question, how does one go about facing the trials that will indeed come upon each and every person at some point in time? And so with my time that I have this morning, my attempt, my prayer, my hope is to walk through this passage and expose just a few things that I believe James leaves here in his letter to those spread throughout the diaspora as well as us. Encouragement for facing the trials of life. And so the first thing that I want to point out this morning to you, Garden, is that 
When we think about trials, we must remember that trials require the proper perspective. Trials require a proper perspective. I love this, Pastor Joel, because James doesn't tell us what to do about trials. Instead, he tells us how we should think about them. Oftentimes in the Christian faith, we think we need to change our behavior. We need to do something with our hands. Instead, James gives us a way to think and feel about trials. He says, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. James says, when you go through trials, consider it. Think of it as. Reckon it as joy. Uh, My wife and I, as we are uh, trying to Uh, Be good stewards of what God has blessed us with in terms of financial uh, money. We're not wealthy or anything. We just know we need to manage what he has because, uh, what he has given us because we're going to give an account for it. And so we we began to use an application uh, to help us with our our, our keeping track of our budget. And what happens is as we spend things on the debit card, as things come in to the bank account, they, they go into these categories. They're assigned to these certain buckets. If we go to McDonald's after this, it'll go into the restaurant bucket. If we go to Wegmans after this, it'll go into the grocery bucket. What James is saying here is that uh, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You see, when I'm doing my budget, every little once in a while, I, I know the food goes, it knows where the, where the restaurant goes, it knows where, but, but every little once in a while there's something that comes up and it has to be assigned. It's like, whoa, where'd that come from? And you got to put it somewhere. James says when that happens to you, when that trial comes up and you don't know where to put it, assign it to the joy bucket. Put it away in the joy bucket. And what James is helping us to understand here is that when these trials of life come into our life, we need to not manually, but learn to mentally assign them into the category called joy. Now, I don't know about you this morning, Garden Church, but I don't always assign stuff to the joy bucket. There are times in my life when trials will come up on my life and I want to assign it to the self-pity category. I've got some subcategories under the self-pity category. Uh, uh, there is a why is this happening to me bucket. I've got a what did I do to deserve this bucket. Or, or maybe it's not that. Maybe this morning you have a blame bucket. I've been going through trials because you did this. I, I didn't have this problem with before I was a Christian. This is God doing this. Uh, perhaps there's an anger bucket this morning. Perhaps there's a, I got to get to the bottom of this bucket. Perhaps you got a grin and bear bucket. James says, no, don't do that. He says, assign it to the joy bucket. But friends, James says that we need to program our mind. We need to think of, we need to write it off, the trials of life as in the joy bucket. So whenever you count, encounter trials in your life, James says, count it all joy. He says, count it all joy, pure joy, nothing but joy. In other words, don't assign some to the joy bucket and some to the anger bucket. Or some of it to the anger bucket and some of it to the blame bucket. But when you encounter trial, count it all. It's got to all go in the joy bucket. He says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Not happiness, but joy. You see, I'm happy when my wife says, let's go out to eat. I'm not happy when my wife says, let's stay at home and eat. 
But joy says, I'm rejoicing because there's food on the table. I don't care where it comes from. You see, joy, unlike happiness, which comes and goes, is a fixed, permanent, internal state of well-being that's not frazzled or altered by our circumstances. Pastor Joe just told us this a minute ago. I remember one time my wife and I went to a beach. And uh, I'm walking out into the middle of the water. It's clear blue water. You can see the fish. And I'm fascinated by this. And so I'm walking towards her in the water. I get about waist deep. I put my hand in my pocket. And I realize that I have my ID on me. And so I turn around to go back and take my ID back to the beach. But something told me to put your hand down and check your left pocket. And when I checked my left pocket, there was my camera. This was before iPhones and Samsung started putting cameras in their phones. And so all the memories, all the pictures that we had taken up until then from our trip, all lost because that camera was submerged underwater. I heard that the water around me had begun to boil. I was so angry. I heard fish started turning up upside down as I was walk, making my way back to the beach. I was steaming. But when we got back to the place we were staying, I reached into the camera and took out the SD card. And you could tell that the camera had been corroded from the salt water. The water was dead. It wasn't coming back. That was it. But I took the SD card and put it in the computer. And lo and behold, all of the pictures were there. You, you, you see, even though the water had started to cave in externally, even though the salt water started to uh, erode what was going on on the external, the, 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 the SD card was deep down inside the camera and it was unfrazzled by what was going on. It remained in a permanent state. That's joy. That's joy that when the water of life starts caving in, that's joy that when the salty haters start to come around you and you can still rejoice, that's joy. Remaining unfrazzled, no matter what's going around with me. He said, count it all joy. And then he says, my brethren. I like this. Joe Gregory says that this, my brethren, lets us know that James was not standing over them, but standing beside them. But what I see here, in addition to that, is the use of the word brethren here refers not to a male or female sibling, but rather to a fellow Christ follower. You see, counting it all joy is not something that everybody can do. The, the, this type of perspective is the one who can only be held by that of the Christ follower who's being transformed by the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And while some Christian Christ followers might find it harder to count it all joy than others, I just want to suggest to you that if you find it all impossible, there might be a disconnect with the Spirit. But for the Christ follower, we can do this because we have the Spirit providing us joy. He says, count it all joy, brethren. And then he goes on to tell us, count it all joy, but what? When you fall into or when you meet trials of various kinds. I like this because the way James pins this, he lets me know something about trials. Number one, he says, when you. James right there is letting me know they coming. They coming. 
ready or not, here they come. Trials will come. It's a certainty of life. But number two, he says, when you meet, this meet is not Montreal and I are going to meet for lunch after this. We've got it all worked out. We got it understood. This word meet here means to fall into. It, it expresses the unexpected nature of being engulfed by a trial. It's like walking on ice and then all of a sudden falling right through. In other words, you don't know when or where you're going to face your next trials. They just come up on us. We know, for example, that Joseph was met with trial after becoming the Lord or the head over Potiphar's house. Joshua was met with trial immediately after experiencing the success of Jericho. David was met with trial after failure. Many remember that after he had fallen with Bathsheba, David continued to face trials and trials and trials and trials, including counting the people of the land. And so we don't always know when trials are coming. Third, he tells us that they're trials of various kind. In other words, they're multicolored. This word means multicolored. Trials come in all types of different hues. They come in all types of ways. There are large trials, medium-sized trials. There are big trials. There are long trials. There are short trials. There are health crisis trials, financial trials, spiritual trials, relationship trials, trials on your job, trials at school, trials at church, persecution, suffering, all types of trials. And so James says, count it all joy when you fall into any of these types of trials. No matter what type of trial it is, James says, count it all joy. That's the perspective that we must go through trials, that we must face trials. But watch this. Consider it all joy, not because of what it is, not just because it's a trial, but because of what it does. He says, count it all joy, but he makes it clear that this is not a call to self-inflicted pain. This is not a call to masochism, self-deprivation, self-humiliation. The reason that we can count it all joy when we meet various kinds of trials is because they serve a particular purpose in our life. Let me say it again. The reason why we can count it all joy is because they serve a particular purpose. They require proper perspective and they serve a particular purpose. Look at what James says in verse 3. For you know that you are certain of. Not, not necessarily by the way of something that has been intellectually acquired that you studied. It's, it's not necessarily uh, just your theology that's holding you here, but the actual experiential knowledge of knowing. God in church, you know. You know because of your existence here in West Baltimore. You know. You know. And it's important that we know. Because if we don't know, then we might not be able to stand the way James is encouraging us to stand here. But he says, you know, and what is it that we know? We know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith, this word has to do with the idea of proving something genuine. It is the idea of a goldsmith who heats up in a blazing furnace, heats gold up in a blazing furnace in order to allow the impurities to surface so he can wipe those impurities away. And, the, and as the heat burns off the impurity, the only thing that comes out is pure gold. The only thing that comes out of that fire is genuine gold. And watch this. The goldsmith continues to wipe away these impurities until he can see his reflection in the gold. You see, trials serve a particular purpose. And so when trials come, Garden Church, whether all of a sudden in the form of frustration, for, uh, 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 sufferings, afflictions, persecutions, the intent is not to tarnish our faith, 
but simply to test our faith. The, the, the intent is not to pummel our faith, but to prove our faith. The, t- the, the, the intent is not to ruin our faith, but to refine our faith. Just as the goldsmith applies the fire to the precious metal to refine and remove the impurities, God uses the trial to turn up the heat of life in order to test us and to bring out the genuineness and the authenticity of our faith in him. He says they produce. He says they, 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 they contribute. They serve a particular purpose. What purpose do they produce? They, they produce steadfast. Steadfastness. I like that. Steadfastness. You see some older translations here use patience which simply means the ability to wait it out. But steadfastness is more than waiting out. It's ability to wait it out while under pressure. It's the ability to wait it out by being weighed down. This stage is steadfast. If it can hold Brother Charlie Mitchell and hold me too. (laughs) This stage is steadfast. It's the ability to stand up under trials without giving in to trials. Even better, it's the ability to remain loyal and faithful to God in his ways, even when we are facing the most difficult circumstances in life. But watch this, though. This is some encouragement for me. I found this encouragement. Even though James doesn't say it in the text, the fact that these trials serve a particular purpose in my life lets me know that no matter what trial I'm going through, God is in control of that trial. If he's using it to do something, then he must be in control of what he's doing. So for me, I can count it all joy because God has purpose for our trials. He's testing our faith and he's producing steadfastness. Now let me say this by way of application. James is not suggesting that you and I go out looking for trials. They're coming. There are plenty of trials out there, and as we just learned, they will find you. So as we prepare for the trials of life, we prepare by remembering that they require proper perspective and that remembering they serve a particular purpose, but we also prepare for trials by remembering that trials produce a perfect product. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, And let steadfastness have its effect. In other words, Garden Church, let it reach its goal. Let it accomplish what it set out to accomplish. Let it feel, fulfill its purpose. He says, don't fight against it. Sometimes God is trying to do something in our lives, but we're, we're, we're fighting against them. He says, cooperate with it. And most of all, James is letting us know, don't quit. Let it have its perfect, perfect work. Let it finish what it's supposed to do in our life. Why? Because steadfastness produces a perfect product. He says so that you may be perfect. What is he talking about here? This word perfect doesn't mean that we're completely sinless. What this word perfect describes is one who has no disqualifying blemishes. He says, so that it may be complete, a completeness of character that includes all facets of godly character. He says, lacking in nothing, lacking in nothing needed to do God's will, to be obedient to him, and to please him. Garden Church, this describes a fully mature, 
whole, well-rounded Christ follower. One whose character has reached full development, and as a result, there is no doubt that the work of the Holy Spirit is being achieved through the steadfastness in trials. Garden Church, can I go on a rant? I'm so glad that you're in the lodge now and not in the public school because this might be your last Sunday in the public school if I, if, I, if, I had to, if I said this and then they heard it. Not just public school system. I grew up in a public school system. I'm only public school, school system educated. I have no private school experience other than uh, one of my children. And let me tell you that I have become disenchanted. I, I'm I've become really disappointed with some of our schools, not all, some of our schools. Because in both public school and private school, I remember a time where you went to school and earned your grade. And if you did not earn your grade, you repeated that grade again until you earned that grade. Now, your parents might be embarrassed and move you somewhere else so that we didn't know you were repeating the grade, but you had to repeat that grade. It wasn't just move you on. And I was disappointed that with one of my children, even in the private school system, after not earning a passing grade, they still wanted to pass him on anyway. They still wanted him to, to keep going. They, did, they didn't want him to, to, to stop. And he wanted to keep going. He didn't want to be held back. He didn't want to stop. He just wanted to be passed along. What am I saying to you this morning? All I'm saying is that God has a standard of holiness in the image of, uh, 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 of his son that he's conforming, to, conforming us to. And when it comes to trials of life and our faces being tested, some of us just want God to keep passing us along just like they do in some of the public school systems. Instead of saying, God, teach me what I need to know. Instead of letting endurance have its perfect work, we, we, we pastor, can you pray for me because I'm going through this and I need to get out of it as soon as possible. I don't know how much longer that I can stay in this trial, because if I stay in this trial any longer, but here's the deal. If you just pass out, you're going to be worse than if, you, than if you stayed in the trial, because God is doing something with the trial. He's using the trial in your life so that our prayer is not, God, hurry up and get me out of this. God, pass me on through. The prayer is, God, give me the sufficient grace that you gave Paul to stay in this trial and to endure and let steadfastness have its work. And so this morning... We have to not quit, Garden Church, in the midst of our trial. We have to not fight against what God is doing in the midst of our trial. We have to let steadfastness have its work on us and prepare us for what God has for us in the future. That's what James is helping us to understand. Remaining steadfast through each trial is per preparing you to reach a level of Christ-likeness that you can't obtain without it. And so count it all joy, because trials produce a perfect product. Garden, I'm going to close, but I want to leave you with this. One last thing to remember in order to prepare for trials. We talked about how trials require proper perspective. We talked about how trials serve a particular purpose. We talked about how trials produce a perfect product. But I want you to remember, and I want to encourage you this morning, that we need to remember that trials lead to the promised prize. Look down at verse 12 in the book of James, chapter 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, 
For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. My brothers and sisters in Christ, trials are coming, but so is your prize. Hang in there. Let steadfastness have its work. Because Jesus is coming back one day, and your trials can't last forever. Pastor Joe indicated earlier that, that when he comes, that's the end of trials. <laughs> when he comes, that's the end of the, the racial division and the tension and all those other things. But it's the end of your trials. You will be glorified and conform to the image of Christ. And the prize there is not some jewel in your crown. The prize there is to get to spend eternal life with the one who saved you. The prize there is to get to spend all of eternity with the God who made you and created you. The, the prize there is to be with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No more trials. Fall of eternity. Just worship and enjoying him. Remain steadfast under trial. Face trials. They're coming. Let them have their work. God's doing something. And if you hold up, you don't give up. You don't turn away. You don't quit on the faith. He promises eternal life for those who hang in there. Amen? Amen. If we heed these words of James, we should be prepared to face the trials of life. Would you pray with me? Our God and our Father, I pray that what has gone forth this morning, first of all, glorified you. But I pray, Father God, that it served as encouragement, Father God, especially for those who are in the midst of trial, Father God, who are struggling, Father God, who want to give up, who want to pack up the towel, throw in the towel and pack up the tent, God. I pray that it would serve encouragement, Father God, that you are in control. You know what you're doing. And you're working on them. You're chiseling them, God, conforming them to the image of Christ. I pray that that be encouragement, that you are doing something with these trials. Father God, I pray that they would be able to depend on each other for encouragement, to stay in trial, to face trial, to remain in trial. I pray that they would be filled by your spirit as they go through trial and that they can count it all joy. Even though they may not always be happy, they can count it all joy because they know you're doing something. You're proving them to be genuine. And that when it's all said and done, they're going to enjoy eternity with you. May that be encouragement for our times of facing the trials in life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.